coming up on this week's podcast. Are we all called a full-time ministry? I think sometimes we forget that. It's like we, 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 we would identify ourselves with whatever job we're doing. If we were talking to Paul, who was a tent maker, he would have said, look, my primary focus is to serve the Lord. I make money by making tents. And I think that's something that we've lost in 2,000 years of church history. Stay tuned for more. And welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of the faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's Justin Hibbard with today's message. Good morning, everyone, and welcome again. And it's so great to see a lot of visitors here with us this morning, and welcome. And we are talking about what it means to be a living sacrifice. This is part of a week four of a, a six-week series on living sacrifice, where we're studying Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Now, last week, um, if you recall, I spoke on what it means, the part about being a corporate worshiper. What does it mean to be a part of corporate worship? And we said it was practice and preparation for heaven. And if you recall, we looked at, um, we looked at a number of things, including the drive-in church in Daytona, Florida, and we said, well, how does that fit in with Acts chapter 2? Only, I never said Acts 2. Somehow on the screen I'd put Acts 3, but I put the right chapter for, uh, the right words for Acts 2, and someone graciously afterwards said to me, Justin, you said Acts 3, was it really Acts 2? And I'm like, oh man. You know, it's one thing to, to speak in front of 50 or 60 people and make mistakes. It's another thing to put it out online then and the potential of, I don't know, 10 people or 100 people listening to it, I don't know. But um, so, you know, in the industry, sometimes there's a little photoshopping that needs to happen and uh, to make ourselves sound a little better. So I was wondering if you could take a listen to this and, and see what you think. And this is church. And, I, and I'm racking my brains thinking, how is it that we, this has become our understanding of church? Because when I read Acts chapter 2, I get a very different understanding <laughs> of what the purpose of the church is. Our five purposes. But there was one more time. Fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism. Let's take a look at that. Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can look at <laughs> the screen. It's not that noticeable, is it? It reminds me of my wife and I. We just laughed so hard. I, I, didn't, I didn't put a whole lot of time in doing that, obviously. And, um, and we, we just got a kick out of that. And we can't take ourselves too seriously sometimes. And <laughs> ministry is, <laughs> sometimes we just laugh at our mistakes. Well, anyways, um, it reminds me, though, of living in Spain. You hear the, and when I was there, George Bush was in, uh, he was the president. And so you always hear things like, El Presidente de los Estados Unidos, George Bush, dijo okay. There's just this obvious English that comes out. It's always funny. Anyways, uh, let's take a look at Romans 12. We'll start with verse 3 this morning. If you have your Bibles, or you can watch the screen. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body and, me- and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ... We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. 
If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Well, last week we looked at um, kind of a holistic view of Romans 12, and we said that Romans 12, 1 and 2 deals mainly with your personal responsibility as a member of the invisible church. So in other words, throughout Romans 1 and 2, when he says, Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our personal responsibility as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to go in our own way. We have to find what it is that God wants us to do, to live lives that are are personally responsible to the calling of being a believer. But in Romans 3, 12, 3 through 8, Paul, Paul changes, and he says it's more of like your responsibility as a member of the visible church. He's going to talk about serving. He's going to be talking about all of these different functions of the local church that we can participate in. So we have these two uh, responsibilities as a Christian, our personal lives and our corporate lives as well. And so if we, t- if we look at the first two verses, they kind of come off as worship. What does it mean to worship? And then the, the second part, what does it mean to serve? What does it mean to use our gifts? But this morning, I want to focus on just verse 3. Because Paul talks about humility in verse 3. And I want to talk about the idea of what it means to be humbly called into ministry. What is it that Paul is telling us here? I think oftentimes, we, I mean, it's easy to see that Paul is saying, hey, don't be prideful, right? Don't be proud. Don't walk around thinking that you are more than you are, that you think too highly of yourself. That makes sense to us. And, and we understand what, you know, in a sense, what it means to be proud and what it means to steer away from to some degree. But I think oftentimes we don't really understand what it means to be humble, Paul tells us, he says, that you should think soberly about yourself. Soberly. Have you ever heard of the phrase liquid courage? It's when somebody drinks a little too much and they feel a little uh, brazen about doing something. So they'll go and they'll do things because alcohol is in their system and they think that they can do things more than they can, right? So... This is what Paul is saying. Look, when when you have alcohol in you, you think that you are able to do the things that you're not really able to do, and that can get you into trouble. In the same way, thinking soberly about ourselves means that we think of ourselves in a sense of a realistic sense of what we are gifted and what we are capable of doing. But I think oftentimes we confuse the word sober with somber. We think of ourselves it's easier for us to say, uh, you know, I, I don't have that gift, or we back off when someone tells us, gives us compliments. It reminds me of the pastor who said, who, who after his sermon was in the back, and the, the parishioner was, parishioners were greeting him and saying thank you to him, and one came up to him and said, Pastor, that was a fantastic sermon. The pastor said, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. He said, no, you don't understand. It was well-organized, well-delivered. The pastor said, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. He said, but the passion you gave was awesome. The pastor said, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. The man said, fine, if it was the Lord, it really wasn't that great. I think sometimes we can... It took a second. Anyways, (laughs) I think sometimes that's that's how we, we can act. We can oftentimes push that away because we're so afraid of being prideful that we, we want to get the focus off of us as much as possible. 
Well, I remember uh, maybe a couple years ago, maybe a year, year and a half ago, around the elders' table um, at one of our meetings, we decided to, to share what we felt our spiritual gifts were. And I have to be honest in saying I felt a little uncomfortable because it, it seemed kind of weird, you know? Like here, I, it was all meant in good intention and it was a great thing to do. But at the same time, the sense of, uh, am I bragging by saying what my spiritual gifts are? Should I only say two and not three or four, you know, so that I have this spirit of humility? Well, how are we supposed to, how are we supposed to have a confidence in what God is doing in our lives, but also have a sense of humility. There is a balance there. And Paul is kind of walking on that balance about, hey, don't be prideful, but don't think of yourself more, more uh, bigger than you ought, more highly than you ought, but at the same time, don't be self-defeating. We can take a cue from Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And here's, here's what he says. Let me get this going here. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. What's Paul saying? He said, look, I know I've seen the Lord. I know the Lord has called me to be an apostle. I know he's, been, he's led me to be an apostle to you. And the work that I've done in you and the fruit of it is, a, is con- confirmation to me that I am called to be an apostle. We might say to Paul, Paul, you're a little arrogant. But is that arrogance or is that a sense of calling? We see later on in Philippians 3 that Paul actually takes the opposite way. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And in Philippians 3, he says, if anyone thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. If anyone had a reason to brag about his... his uh, heritage, his education, his experience, it was Paul. And Paul says, no, that is not worth bragging about. I am only who I am because of what Christ has done in me. I love this this quote by Ken Blanchard. He said, humility does not mean you think less of yourself. It means you you think of yourself less. Humility does not mean you think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less. Why? Well, in Romans 12, verses 3 through 6, we see a couple of words here that really stand out. He says, But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of your faith. Later on, he says, So in Christ we are many... uh, We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. I see three words that jump out at me. I see measure of faith, grace, and gifts. And what's interesting about all three of these, that if we look in Scripture, all three of these are indeed gifts. So in other words, it's a gift on top of a gift on top of a gift. We are given spiritual gifts based on a measure of faith, 
based on grace and faith and grace that we know Ephesians 2 tells us that for we are saved by faith through grace, this, uh, by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. So in other words, what Paul is saying is there's no reason to brag about what you can do. There's no reason to be prideful because God has given you a gift based on a gift and based on another gift. So what does it mean to be humbly called? Being humbly called means having a confident knowledge of the gifts God has given you because it's all a gift. It reminds me of a story my cousin proposed to his fiance, and this was years ago. And so, of course, we're sitting around and, and listening to the story, and we said, oh, well, show us the ring. And she said, no, it's hideous. <laughs> she had put it in the box, and she left it away. She's like, it is the ugliest ring I've ever seen in my life. It's terrible. I mean, she went on and on about how terrible this ring was. And, and she was like, oh, I don't know why he thought about picking out this ring. I was like, ouch. You know, I mean, that's awful. What a terrible thing to say. I know my wife, when, when I went to buy that ring, I, I pulled all of my savings out that I had from my bank account as a little kid and went and bought this ring. And it was like everything I owned went to this ring. And I'm so proud that she wears it. I mean, it's certainly not uh, anywhere worthy of who she is. But the fact that she wears this ring and wears it proudly, honors me. And in the same sense, when we say, I don't really have that gift, I I don't know about that, when we put down what God has given us, I think it's sort of a shame to God. But rather, when we display his gifts proudly, when we say, look, it's not about me, but look at what the Lord has done, look what he can do, Look at, look at these gifts. I'm going to use my gifts. Don't look at me. Look at the gifts that God is doing. Then I think we honor God. And again, it's that balance between not being prideful, not pointing at ourselves and saying, look at me, look what I can do, but look at what God can do through people that trust him. I think that's one of the things that means humbly called, and I know it's a tricky balance at times. The second thing I think what humbly called means is being humbly called means recognizing every believer is called and qualified for ministry. Being humbly called means recognizing that every believer is called and is qualified for ministry. About eight years ago, I was serving at another church as a pastor there on a part-time basis. And I was also here part-time serving as the worship leader and one of the elders of the other church came up to me and he said, Justin, we need to figure out a way to get you here full-time. And I said, well, you know, I appreciate that, but the problem is, you know, we're only like 30 people, and I don't know how the church would have, could afford that, and I don't know what they would give up in order to have that full-time. I don't know that that's the wisest idea, and I don't know what I would do with 40 hours a week with such a small church where everyone lives so far away. I don't know if that's the best use of time. Well, so we left the conversation at that, and we had a a meeting later on. And he totally blindsides me, and he says, and it brings up, I think we need to hire him full-time. And and I said, I don't know if that's, you know, we talked about this. I don't know if that's a good idea. And he says, that's because you're not called to full-time ministry. And I was like, what? I was like shocked. What is he talking about? 
And then I thought about it. I'm like, wait, 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 wait aren't I serving full-time? Isn't like two part-time jobs doesn't equal full-time? And, and, and then I thought to myself, aren't we all called to full-time ministry? Aren't we all called to full-time ministry? I think sometimes we forget that. It's like we, 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 we would identify ourselves with whatever job we're doing. Oh, and I, do, and, I, and I do this on the side. No, no, no. If we were talking to Paul, who was a tent maker, he would have said, look, my primary focus is to serve the Lord. I make money by making tents. And I think that's something that we've lost in 2,000 years of church history, is that, that focus, what the Bible teaches us, about what it means that every believer is called and qualified for ministry. Let me explain, if I could, starting with 1 Peter 2. Because 1 Peter 2, we have this famous passage about being a royal priesthood. He says, starting in verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want to take a look at this one phrase here that he uses, and that is people of God. What does he mean when he says people of God? Well, he uses a very specific Greek word. It's the Greek word that means laos, and that word means laity. That word you may recognize because you may say, well, I've always been called a layman or a layperson. In other words, I'm not a professional. I'm not a professional minister. I'm not, I haven't gone to seminary. I haven't been ordained. I am just a layman. Well, Paul, or when, whenever this word is used in Scripture, it is never used in a sense of creating two classes of citizens in the church. It is always used to talk about a collective body of Christ. It is, it, what was so radical about this word is that it would have been used to talk about Israel as a nation. And so all of a sudden now, people are using this word as the corporate body of Christ, which includes Jews and Gentiles, and a lot of them might have been like, what do you mean you're using this word to collectively refer to Jews and Gentiles? But this is the word that is used as the people of God, the laity, the laos. Not people who are just pew sitters, the people of God who serve him. It is not to just talk about, it is not talking about people who are unprofessionals or anything like that. Non-professionals, I guess is the better word. Non-professionals, but it is used to talk about the holistic body of Christ. Well, there's another word that's often used in conjunction with the word laity. And we can find this, this word used in Colossians 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. We're in verse 9. Colossians 1.9. Paul is writing to the, the church at Colossae, and he's, he starts this off with this great introduction, uh, this great greeting. And if I ever got this greeting, my heart would be so warmed of what he's saying to the church. And he's not writing to a particular leader or group of leaders. He's writing to the church as a whole when he writes this. He says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, And please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption 
and the forgiveness of sins. Let me take just a focus here on verse 12, where he writes, The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. And there's a particular word that's used there. It is the word inheritance. That word is the word that we get translated as kleros in the Greek. That is the word that we find clergy. That word there is where we define the word clergy. And throughout history, there has been this kind of movement to separate the laity from the kleros, the clergy. But if we look at how it's used in Scripture, we don't find that at all. We find that First Colossians 1 says, the Father who has qualified you, and who's he talking to in you? He's not talking to the leadership. He's not talking to someone with a particular background of education or experience. He's saying he's qualified you simply because you're a member of the laity, the laos, to share in the kleros, the inheritance of his holy people. We could kind of talk about church history. I'll give you kind of a nutshell of it. It started off in, uh, with Clement I. He's considered one of the early popes of the Catholic Church who sent a letter to the church at Corinth because the church at Corinth was denying some of the presbyters their due function in the church. And, and, and Clement uses the word, he doesn't use the word laos, he uses something else. And he begins to make that divide that just kind of grew from there, the divide between the, the clergy and the laity. So by the time the 300s rolled around, we have clear evidence from different writers such as Origen that there is a definite group of leaders called the clergy and everyone else is considered the laity. There's the pulpiters and the pew sitters. There's the people that, that, that lead the church and there are people that watch, stand by, and are support. Now, with that being said, let's be clear in understanding that first of all, there are offices in the church. There is, uh, the, we, Paul says, he says, uh, not all are called to be apostles, prophets, teachers, shepherds, or pastors, but that there are different functions and everyone has different gifts. He says this in Romans 12. We don't always have, we don't all have that same function. And I'm sure Carl or Steve will continue on that thought in the next week or two. But the reality of it is, is that what we do instead sometimes is we forget that we are part of the clergy. That we, simply because we're part of the laos, we have an inheritance, a portion, a share in the work of God. And, and instead, what we tend to do, though, is we tend to kind of shuffle that off on the professional, the one who has had the education, the one who has had all the experience, the one who has, ha, is being called to be that pastor. And oftentimes, as well, what's happened is that pastor has used that I'm called to the ministry to kind of take control of churches, to kind of say, look, hey, you're not the clergy, I'm the clergy, you're the laity, I'm the pulpiter, you're the pew-sitter. And that is something that is never talked about. In fact, uh, we're warned about that later on in First Peter, that leaders need to share in the kleros that they've been given. So, what, so this distinction that we have, this kind of creating two classes of citizens, is nowhere in the scripture. We do know that there are functions. But I think it's, it's up to us to understand that the Father has qualified you. He has called and qualified you to share in the kleros of 
the laos, of the laity. Now, I think we can all say, you know, if that's the case, what does that mean? If being humbly called means recognizing every believer is called and qualified for ministry, I think that means a couple of things. First of all, it means that all of us have a responsibility to share in the ministry. But it also means that I have to recognize that I have certain gifts and I have certain limitations. And sometimes, you know, the temptation is that when we are in a position of leadership, when we, we carry out a certain function, we start thinking, well, I'm the only one that can do it. And, and, and taking time to train people and work with people, that just takes time, that takes effort, that takes energy. And I'm not sure they can do it the same way that I can do it. And so we tend to grab that control because we don't want to share in that ministry. And Paul is saying, look, we share in that ministry. And part of this understanding being humbly called means that I have to look and say, wait, you're just as called as I am. If you have that calling, you're just as called, you're just as qualified. Now certainly, if that's the case, then I wonder how well we're doing as a worldwide church at training people in these ministries. If someone says to me, I feel called to something, I would hope that I can put my money where my mouth is and say, okay, if that's the case, let's see what we can do to help you along in this. Let's see what we can do. Do we need to send you to training? Do we need to um, allow you to serve? And sometimes what happens is that we, our Sunday mornings, and I have to, I'll be the first to, to apologize for this, because sometimes our Sunday mornings, we, we want everything to be perfect. Even though we'll admit we're not a perfect church, we're not a perfect people, it's like we want it, it done professionally and done well, and certainly it needs to be done well. But if we never give people opportunities to serve, if we never allow for them to make those mistakes and to come along, then they're not going to learn. And part of being humbly called and recognizing that other people are called and qualified to ministry is allowing them that place because God has given it to them. Thirdly, I think being humbly called means using your gifts for serving the Lord. If we have, if we've all been called, if we've all been qualified by the Lord to serve in his kleros, in his portion that he has allotted for us, then we have a responsibility to serve as well. In Matthew 25, we read the story of the parable of the talents. And I want to focus on the last person here. Because look what he says in verse 25 when, when he when he turns out that he doesn't have anything because he's buried it. He's buried his talent. He says, So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. When you read this passage, you get the sense that this guy was sort of afraid of his, his master. His master was, uh, he was, he was someone that he, he planted, he, he, he went out and he did lots of different things. He was an entrepreneur and the man was just a little bit of afraid of taking risks with his master's money. So what's the easier thing to do? The easier thing was, well, if I just bury it, and he comes back, he at least has the gold that he entrusted me with. That's not too bad. So instead, that's what he does. And what does the master say? He says, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. And then he ends up taking the gold away and giving it to the person that made lots of interest. That's an important thing for us to understand. We have to understand that 
as people who have been entrusted, who have been called, who have been qualified for the, by the Lord, we need to exercise those gifts. Now, I know that New Hope Chapel has, has been a place for people who have been hurt in ministry to come and find refuge. And I appreciate that Carlene and I come from that same experience. And I've heard stories, heart-wrenching stories of people who said their pastors have screamed at them and have yelled at them and have treated them harshly or have ignored them or whatever, and it's terrible. And the only way that people heal from that is if church is a safe place to serve. If church is a safe place for people, then people feel welcome. People feel like, I can try this out. And if it doesn't work out, I know there's not going to be someone beating me on the back for it. Well, what does 1 John 4 says? 1 John 4 says, and so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So I think to make this last point a reality, that our focus needs to be on love and on unity, is what Terry was praying, to love one another as God loves. Because when that happens, church becomes a safe place. Church becomes a place where we can grow in our gifts, where we can expect that forgiveness and that love and that mercy as well. So in recapping, just going over these main points, being humbly called means having a confident knowledge of the gifts God has given you. It also means that recognizing every believer is called and qualified for ministry, and it means using our gifts for serving the Lord. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching focused on the Jewish roots of the faith and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep. Yeah.